What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, who, as our producer and friend Jordan Feigelman has pointed out, uh, is wearing a pretty fiery quarter zip today. So uh, you've got the whole dad look rocking. I appreciate that. Uh, How how are we feeling here uh, on the start of week 11? I'm just trying to keep up with the Manning brothers and apparently Obama. You know, uh, <laughs> right? I think that was I think that was the inside joke on the last Manning cast. I can't remember. I think it was someone from the ringer actually that tweeted that and it made it onto the air on the on the Manning brothers. So they do have a mean quarters up. I probably have them. I'm pretty sure I have them defeated, though, and number of children and how old my children are. So I think I went on that front. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, at least you have something over the Mannings and or uh, former President Barack Obama. And I think it was like I think it was Kevin Clark that uh, that tweeted it out from the ringer. Yes, and the whole I thing caught fire. And uh, yeah, the Mannings, they are they if they don't have one already, they should get a quarter zip deal. I'm sure they've got some sort of endorsement deal from a, you know, apparel company or something uh, at this point. We got a lot to talk about on the show. We're going to go through the utilization report as we always do early in the week. Of course, you can catch the whole thing online at fantasylife.com. Be sure to go check that out with all the myriad tools and all sorts of great things there to help you set your lineups. But I want to start with kind of a, a beefy topic to begin the show. And I know in some leagues we've passed the trade deadline. I know there are a few leagues where it's still maybe a week or so away. But either way, you're at a point in the year where you are really planning for the postseason, for the late season run into the postseason. And this is a time where we talk about getting players with upside and sort of looking for those guys that could be breakout guys. And maybe it's for the end of this year. Maybe you're looking ahead for next year. But either way, those players who do have some sort of path to production. And uh, Dwayne, you you recently had a tweet about sort of what you were looking for in that sort of thing and finding those guys that do have that upside, that have that path, maybe not a guarantee, as you said, but, but right. a path to extra production. So w- when you talk about that, I mean, just kind of dive in on that, if you would. What sort of things are you looking for when you are trying to find those guys who maybe, you know, maybe have it hit in a big way, but, but could break out anytime soon. Yeah. I think the first thing you're looking for, right. Is talent. And there's many ways you can think about talent. Obviously we're talking about NFL players. They're all talented, but what we're talking about is the guys that could be exceptions. The easiest way to do that. And there's a lot of cool stuff out there. There's a lot of great dynasty resources that can help you in redraft. There's certain things you want to look for. Like we'll be writing about that stuff in the off season, like how you find breakouts. Like I've done a lot of research personally on this kind of information as well, but like a real quick cheat code is, you know, how, how high was the player drafted? <laughs> so if they were drafted in the first round in the early second round, well, number one, the team's invested. They're going to keep giving the player chances typically, right? And they want that player to succeed. So I'm looking for talent. And that really is what we're looking for when we think about upside. But then the other part is what you mentioned. We are looking for, you know, do they have a reasonable path to really gaining opportunity? Now we know these things can change. We know they can be fluid. I mean, we've been doing a show We're in week 11 of this show. How many times have we seen a trend and then it turns and goes another way? It happens. But guess what? The really good players, the best players, once they break out, like if they're truly as talented, like as what their breakout shows, they usually don't go away because the team sees what we do and they're like, whoa, look what we just found. Like we want this guy on the field. And so a great example of this last week, you know, and, you know, we'll give ourselves a little pat on the back. We talked about, you know, Christian Watson in the newsletter on Saturday and said, look, like, this is a guy that right now, go pick him up today because you've got a situation where he's going to be on the field. We knew Romeo Dubs was not going to be out there. We, we know that Alan Lazard is nice, but he's not, he's not a target alpha, right? He's not something that's going to be a barrier to another player on the team breaking out. You've got a player like Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. We know how good Aaron Rodgers is. We don't, everybody knows that. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Is he having a bad year? Yeah, but he's not suddenly bad. Like, there's, he's just been struggling with bad weapons. And so when things start to stack up like that, Like you preemptively want to just get in on them if you can ahead of time. Now, not everybody had the opportunity to go do that, obviously. And when we look at Christian Watson, like he's still available right now in 92% of leagues. But the biggest thing that made me write that tweet, Marcus, was, you know, I put some stuff out there this weekend, just basically kind of outlining what I just said about, you know, Christian Watson. I couldn't believe how many people came back with, well, you never know. Next week, it could just be two catches for 10 yards. And I'm like, yeah, but we can say that about a lot of players. He has the draft capital. He was the number 34 pick overall. He was almost a first-round pick. The the when you look at who all was on the board for the Packers, 
there were a lot of receivers on the board they could have taken. And they chose to elevate Christian Watson over a lot of those guys. Now, time will tell. Are they going to be right on that? They took him over George Pickens. Is that going to ultimately be the right call in the end? I don't know. But what I saw this last weekend, the other thing we look for is that the player can demonstrate some sort of upside and they show you something. I get it. It's one game, but it's almost like people are counting it against him because he scored the three touchdowns. Because everybody immediately goes, they're like, man, he can't catch three touchdowns every game. Well, like, duh, we know. Like, who's going <laughs> to catch three touchdowns every game? But he showed you he can score touchdowns, and how did he score them? Deep getting open. He has a natural ability on the NFL field against other professionals, and he made them look bad. It wasn't just because it was a fluke. He had a 42% target share. What do we talk about all the time? Can a player earn targets? He's shown you. Is it a one-game sample? Yep. But another thing you and I talk about all the time, what world do we live in? We live in a world of small samples. So that means if you wait, if you need Christian Watson to prove to you for another two games that he can do this, guess what? You don't get 2014 Odell Beckham if it happens. You don't get 2018 A.J. Brown if it happens to be him. There is a litany. There's a huge list of receivers that have broken out in the second half of their seasons. Some of them started off injured, just like Watson. And so you, it's, it's tough. You can't pick and choose. The better way to think about it is, are the ingredients there? And then you put the chips down on the table. You make the bet. You could be wrong, but... As I sit here and think about it, what other receivers with his draft capital, with a great quarterback and a weak depth chart? I can't think of a comp for him. We have one more we'll talk about, right? But there's not many guys just sitting like that on your waiver wire. So that's the other thing you got to do is look at the wire and be like, okay, if you think there's someone else that's still going to break out, who's it going to be that, had, that you know has this draft capital and all these other things? So for me, it's just that big picture. I think you got to zoom out. You can't get stuck in the minutia here. You got to realize that this is your chance on a guy like Christian Watson. And lastly, man, like big picture, Marcus, like people just lost Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. If you think you're getting Christian Watson for cheap, you're nuts. People that just lost Cooper Cup are going all in on Christian Watson because they have to. So if you want him, you got to put all your chips in the middle. I think it's funny you talk about you know people sort of being skeptical, and I and I sort of get that too, right? After yeah, he scored it. his third, after he scored his third touchdown, I think I tweeted, you know, he's just setting us up for the banana in the tailpipe next week. But at the same time, I also look at everything that that you pointed out too, right? You've got a a Packer offense that hopefully is starting to turn a corner a little bit and getting a little bit more productive. You got Romeo Dobbs who's injured this week, for instance. You've got a really good matchup against the bad Tennessee secondary. All the ingredients are there to at least make it worth taking the shot on. And I think I put him out uh, earlier this week as, a, as a, a nice waiver wire option where he's available. And somebody responded with what you said. Like, I'm just worried he's going to come back and he's not going to get you any points. He's going to have a dud. And my response was, look, that's certainly within the range of outcomes. But there are so many other things there that are working in his favor that it's worth taking the shot. I also wonder, Dwayne, are we this do people are the people this negative about him if if he just let's say he had 60 yards 70 yards and a touchdown <laughs> good game not a huge blow up game do people look at that and like okay this seems repeatable maybe i'm in on christian watson instead he gives you three touchdowns it's enormous game and immediately the response is well he can't do that again we're like well yeah of course nobody says that maybe he was too good for his own good if that makes sense this past week yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, our producer Jordan and I were just chatting earlier via, you know, Discord. And that's the conversation we were having. I, I told him, I was like, I, I really honestly feel like Watson is being like looked like at a, in a negative light. The three touchdowns are hurting him because people immediately, ah, he can't do that again. Right. But we don't care. He demanded 42% target share. I, I think you're right. If he had caught one touchdown on seven targets, six catches, 70 yards, I think people would even be more in on him. I think they, I think they would just, you know, be like, oh man, like this, but it doesn't matter. He, he has shown enough. And I, honestly, I still prefer getting to see the touchdowns. You know, I've got him playing right now in front of me. I got a Twitter feed up of just them <laughs> playing over and over. And he could have had a fourth. He lost the ball. He had beaten his man again and he gave up and Aaron Rodgers threw it to him. Like, dude, like it's, he could be a top 12 wide receiver the rest of the way. You rarely get to say that. We're going into week 11. Week 11, that's the other thing, Marcus. What are we waiting for? Right. If, you have, if you're in a league that has fab dollars, what have you been waiting for if it's not these ingredients? Hall of Fame quarterback, early pick, weak depth chart competition, just showed you he can ball out. He's been hurt. You haven't actually, you have an excuse for why he hasn't been good yet. He's <laughs> right. been hurt. It's not like Nick Akini Westbrook, who's been playing for three years and all of a sudden breaks out and has one game, and you're like, whoa, you just had a 28-point fantasy game. 
but yet over your career, you've never been able to even demand a 10% target share. You don't have that, you know, conundrum here <laughs> with Watson. Literally you have, huh? You weren't able to play. You played a little bit. You had a 21% target rate when you were on the field, not a big sample. And then you come out and smash in this game. Like, yeah, it's, it's to me, it's an easy, easy slam dunk. I, I would bit, I would put everything, everything in the middle. If you're playing in a league with me and you're wanting to bid on Chris, bid on Christian Watson, if I have more fab <laughs> than you, don't bother. You're not getting it. So you talk about Christian Watson, another guy who, who I guess fits into that mold also. And you mentioned AJ Brown. The Titans, you know, they traded A.J. Brown. They drafted Traylon Burks to sort of be his replacement a little bit. We haven't seen Burks in a while because he has been injured as well. But back on the field now for the Tennessee Titans in a, an offense that is still looking for some consistency at the pass catcher position. You mentioned, you know, Nick Westbrook, Akine, and Robert Woods, who very much, you know, on the down end of his career, I think, at this point. Traylon Burks, again, has a lot of those ingredients. Maybe it's not quite as explosive because Ryan Tannehill isn't Aaron Rodgers. But it seems like there are a lot of pieces in place for Traylon Burks to have some success down the stretch here. Yeah, man, I think this is a great call on your part. And this is the one that if you if you have a bid in on Christian Watson, Traylon Burks should be your backup bid. You know, and he's available pretty much everywhere. <laughs> you know, he's not available in like really deep leagues like FFPC, like Watson's even available over there. You know, hmm. um, Burks, though, in most leagues, like if you play in Yahoo, ESPN, he's available in most of them. Um, and you hit it. It's for the, really the same reasons. While Ryan, Ryan Tannehill is not Aaron Rodgers, he has already shown us that he can support a high-end fantasy option at receiver. Yes, it's a run-heavy offense in Tennessee as well, but the other factors that you named make it where it could still be that perfect you know, uh, mix of ingredients that make it like combustible, right? Because we've seen Robert Woods has not been able to demand targets. He's not the same. We've seen Nick Akini Westbrook for a long time. Had a nice game last week. But this week, Traylon Burks in his first game off the IR tied Nick Akini Westbrook in his route participation at 75%. And Traylon Burks is also a guy that we've actually already seen demonstrated. In the first two games of the season, he had over a 30% targets per route run. He just wasn't on the field enough. Over the next two games, they started to ramp up his playing time. He gets hurt with the toe injury, goes on IR. Then he comes back, you know, in week 10. So he's the guy that is going to be a little easier to get because he hasn't done it yet. But the utilization is there. All of the other things definitely align for him. And I mean, I wouldn't be shy. Like I put him down as a 25% fab bid, but if I had him behind Watson and I just lost Cooper cup, like I probably would have it higher. I would just be like, I'm getting one of these two guys. Like one of these two players is going to be on my roster after this fab runs. Want to ask about, by the way, I, I had Traylon Burks in a league. It's not a deep league. And then, you know, just trying to hold on to him and having to make moves. I, I had to let him go. And now I'm, yeah. I'm, scrambling to see if I can go get him back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Want to ask you about a couple of running backs, though, who we've seen get uh, expanded roles in the last couple of weeks. One is Isaiah Pacheco in Kansas City. And I know we've talked about him before. He was a guy that people loved coming into the season. It finally looks like he's starting to to get those opportunities. The other is Rashad White, who, again, I know was getting some love before the season. Uh, The Bucs are on a bye, but Leonard Fournette's banged up. We saw a lot of Rashad White. Is there one that you favor over the other and and your outlook for both of these guys down the stretch? Yeah, I'm probably in the minority. I think most people in the community, they, they want Rashad White. I want Isaiah Pacheco, though. And the reason is this. We already saw this last week. They went fully to him on the ground. He had 73% of the rushing attempts. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did not have one. Clyde Edwards-Alaire played 6% of the snaps. So... You're going to tell me that we've got a rookie running back that's been trending up for the last three weeks. Andy Reid named him as his starter back before the bye week. You know, even though that didn't mean a big change, he he did move ahead of Edwards-Alaire, but it was still close. But now I think we're seeing the next step in the evolution. Could we be wrong? Yes. But what if we're right? Kansas City's the number one scoring offense in the NFL. You know what that means? They're inside the five a lot. (laughs) Yes, they're a pass-heavy team, but they also run a lot of plays. There's about 20 attempts like to go around in this backfield per game. If you're splitting that up two or three ways, it's too much. If it is a sprinkle of Jarrett McKinnon, McKinnon getting two to three, which is basically where we've been, and then really the rest is Pacheco, meaning he'll be somewhere between like 15 and 18 touches per week. If he gets 15 to 18 rushing attempts in this week, I mean, in this offense, he's going to give you two touchdown upside per game. Like that, that could happen. He's going to have games where he's going to score two touchdowns just by the nature of the offense that he plays in. The other thing is, like, what if his role expands? 
What if suddenly, or what if Jarek McKinnon gets hurt? What if they just decide to give him a little bit more of the passing work? We don't know for sure everything they're going to do, but just like some people will say, yeah, you can't trust Kansas City backfield. It changes all the time. What if it changes in an even you know, more positive way for Isaiah Pacheco? Why is that not part of the conversation? So Pacheco, to me, is the number two player you should be after this week behind Christian Watson. I would will- I'd be willing to get all my chips in the middle on him as well. Again, we're heading into week 11. You know, you're, you're, you've got a good offense. You're not getting all the data points you want. We're too late in the season for that. You can't wait. You've got to make your move now. And I think we're lucky, to be honest, Marcus, to be positioned heading into the going to the fantasy playoffs and to have two players like this available. Now, Rashad White, I think you could argue, has the better overall upside. And the reason why is we know he has the passing down chops. So if Leonard Fournette is out, or if he somehow hurdles Leonard Fournette on the depth chart, you're probably getting a back that's going to play every down, but you're getting a back that's in not as good of an offense. As much as you and I believe in the Bucks and we want like that offense to be elite, it's average. It's middle of the pack right now. You know, it could certainly improve, but the upside of probably having a back that could give you 20 carries as well as five to 10 receptions, like in any week, like White has that. Pacheco right now has not shown that in his profile. So the overall upside is there, but the most recent reports are that Leonard Fournette's probably going to be okay after the bye week. And so I just don't see a scenario where Lenny fully goes away, even if Rashad White starts to take over. So more than likely, you're hoping, you're hoping that Rashad White can be in a situation like the Chiefs have already shown us they're willing to put Isaiah Pacheco in. And so I lean to the guy that they've already shown it to us, right? And so it's close. I like both. If you need a running back and they're both available, I would be making sure I'm coming away with one of the two. I definitely try to get one of the two. Obviously, if you need help now, Pacheco needs to be your priority yeah. just because the Bucks are on a bye this week. And as you mentioned, if Fournette is able to heal up in the next week, week plus, then that, that certainly limits the potential opportunities let, for Rashad White. Let me ask you something, Marcus. Sure. What if, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, you know, I know this couldn't even happen, but theoretically, we woke up tomorrow and Damian Pierce was on the Chiefs, and we knew he was going to have basically the same role that he's had with the Texans. What would people do? They would, And he was a free agent. They would not only spend all the current fab they have, they would see if they could go to a fab (laughs) bank and get a loan so they could put more fab out there. It's the same thing. So sometimes you got to think through that stuff. That's what you have. You have Damian Pierce's role on the chiefs. And what's funny is I threw that onto social media. Somebody came back. Someone had the gall to come back and say, yeah, man, but the Texans run the ball more. I'm like, listen to yourself. You (laughs) you would prefer Damien or Damien Pierce on the freaking Texans over the chiefs. Are you kidding me? You people have lost your minds and I love you. I love all of you, but you've lost your mind. (laughs) By the way, news broke just before we started recording the show that the Texans have signed Eno Benjamin, who was, I think a lot of us surprised to see that the Cardinals let him go. I mean, just your immediate takeaway, any concern that Benjamin steps in there and and takes some food off of Damian Pierce's plate? I don't think so. I think Pierce has looked really good. Um, you know, the, the Eno thing's weird. I don't know if it was to make room to get Mac to bring up Max Williams after the Zach Ertz injury, yeah. or did something happen in that running back room? You know, did they get caught doing something they shouldn't be doing because it was kind of weird that Daryl Williams was gone? Mm-hmm. They had Eno Benjamin active for the game last week. He played 1% of the snaps. Nothing. It was all James Conner. Like, James Conner was like Godzilla of utilization last weekend. Um, so I, I'm not that worried about it. I think Eno Benjamin is a replacement-level profile player. So, so far, what Damian Pierce has shown us is that he's well above that. And so I, I think he could be there, you know, and help spell him a little bit, but I'm not concerned about him taking touches away. Yeah, just, you know, again, all this has happened in a relatively short amount of time. Shocked to see Benjamin out of Arizona. A little bit surprised to see him land in, in Houston. I thought maybe the Rams would make a run at him, knowing the, the issues they have, although yeah, maybe, they've, true. maybe they're waving the white maybe flag. Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. maybe they're also just kind of waving the white flag after the Cooper Cup injury. Who really knows? But uh, going to be something to kind of keep an eye on. We are talking about the importance of getting in early on some potential fantasy prospects. Also important 
to kind of get in early on your weekly betting lines and uh, go over to fantasylife.com. If you don't check out the newsletter, you should absolutely. Matt LaMarca already jumping in and talking about some things uh, for the upcoming week. So be sure to go check that out. Also, you know, check out our friends at BetMGM as well. They always have uh, some lines up early so you can go and take a look at that and start to kind of plan out what uh, your upcoming week is going to look like because things already move. I mean, we've seen the Jets. Uh, that game move about half a point. We've seen the Packers move about a point or so. So go on in, sign up for a bet MGM, use the promo code Fantasy Life, risk free first bet up to a thousand dollars. So uh, go have some fun, enjoy your weekend even more than you probably would already, uh, just watching the NFL games. Let's get to more of the utilization report. Of course, as I mentioned, you can check that out at fantasylife.com and. Uh, let's start with the quarterbacks because that seems like a really good spot to start. Aaron Rodgers, we talked about Christian Watson and sort of what he did last week and what he could be doing going forward. Last week, the, the Packers went out and in a game I didn't expect Rodgers to have a nice week. He did against the Cowboys. This week, the matchup looks a little bit better against the Tennessee Titans. Are we feeling a little more comfortable putting Rodgers in lineups at this point? Absolutely. Um, and it all really ties back to Watson. I think for the purposes of Aaron Rodgers, we've we've seen him trying to make these downfield plays. We've seen him look for these in the games over the last several weeks. He has not had a weapon to really, you know, help him execute. Think about it. Like a lot of the big plays down the field that he's tried to get to Romeo Dubs, and they just have not been able to make that connection. Why? Because Dubs is really more like Lazard, right? He is, I'm not going to get way open. I can't just burn someone. I can be a good route technician. I can get the right position you need. But still, it's going to be a contested ball, right? And contested catches, they have a good chance of being incomplete. So separation has shown, you know, and I've went back and studied this from a fantasy. It's not the only way you can win as a receiver. Like, you want receivers that can do everything. I think we've mentioned that before on the show. But if you go back and look at receivers that have a step or more of separation and PFF data over the last three years, like, it's not close. They're worth way more fantasy points per, you know, reception, per target, per route, per anything you want to look at. And it makes sense because if you're further away from the defender when you catch the ball or you've got an angle and then you've got the athletic ability to then turn that into something else, it makes sense, right? It makes sense to us. Like, that's how the 49ers offense lives with Debo. That's how the um, the Dolphins offense lives, right? They're not all contested shots down the field. Let's get these guys the ball in space and let them do things. Now you have a player... You can do that with, and I think it makes everything else better. You know, Marcus, I think it means now you got a guy with Lazard, you see the one-on-one on the backside of coverage, you throw in the back shoulder fade, but it doesn't have to be your whole offense. Lazard actually, like to give him credit, he has looked really good in single man coverage situations against really good corners. Like he has come through. Um, so I think you just have more tools in the toolbox. It allows for a more balanced offense. And, and the thing is, Lazard was never going to be a target hog anyway. So if he was always going to be a 20, 22% target share player, I think it becomes better for him now because if people have to start paying attention to Watson, you know, that potentially leaves him more room once he makes a catch. And then I think for Romeo Dubs, they're going to maybe get Randall Cobb back this weekend. So it's just getting healthier and getting into a situation where maybe Watson can be the straw that stirs the drink for uh, Rodgers. I would say like, if I had to pick right now, rest of the season, you told me like, okay, you can pick from like the old guard here, right? You can go with, <laughs> I'll be interested in your thoughts. You can go with Russell Wilson. You can go with Tom Brady. You can go with Aaron Rodgers. Like, which of those three are you picking? I think I'm picking Aaron Rodgers. I know it's one game, but he just showed me a ceiling that I haven't seen from the others this year. It's it's either Rodgers or Brady. I mean, Wilson, I think, is the easy. He's yeah. the easy one to sort of exclude in that situation. Agree. But but Rodgers, I mean, see what he did last week. And, and maybe this was a situation where it takes time. And, and we talked about this with the Chiefs and Juju and Patrick Mahomes sort of taking time to get on the same page. For Aaron Rodgers, I mean, it was almost a complete reboot, right? This was a, a guy who really had lived with Devontae Adams and, and sort of had had risen and fallen with Devontae Adams. And now to not have that really meant that, that he had to kind of go through everything. And so maybe it took 10 plus weeks for that to come together. So, so I... I'm flipping a coin, I might say Brady, but it's close, right? But either way, I think I know it's that, really close to. I think yeah, it's close to. I know that. Uh, I know that Russ is like I said. He's the easy exclusion. <laughs> Man, the thing uh, I, I love think. with Rogers is when I watch. Like he's the guy that will take his time back there, and he will sit and he'll wait. Like he can buy the time. He can. He's not going to run for a lot of yards, but he extends plays better than the rest. He doesn't just have to be get the ball out, get the ball out. And I think with the way defenses have evolved. 
the ability to move in the pocket by that extra time against the extra coverage is more meaningful than ever. And just the threat that you could take off, which Rogers still can, he's done it more over the last couple of games. Not that he's going to beat you with his legs, but those sort of things just to help you maneuver defensive players and get them to the spot where you want them and to be able to do it like, you know, three seconds after the ball has been snapped to you, you know, average time to throw in the NFL is right around two and a half seconds. You got a guy that can extend a play half a second over that and give you a chance at the big plays. I, I like the upside of that personally for Rogers. It's funny you talk about being able to to move within the pocket, extend plays. I mean, that that has always been a strength of Tom Brady as well. Both those guys uh, are so good at it. And Brady is, is sort of amazing because he's not the most mobile guy. He's not going to take off and run on you more often than not. But he does just figure out a way to sort of move within the pocket just to get enough time to have guys get open or, or make that throw. Uh, it's it's a special skill, and not everybody can can do that sort of thing. Jonathan Taylor's got a set of special skills. They were on display last week against the Las Vegas Raiders, nearly 150 rushing yards. So are we are we confident in saying Jonathan Taylor is back now for the rest of the year, or was this just him taking advantage of a really good matchup? Well, I think he took advantage of the good matchup, but, you know, he's a good enough player to do it. So I, the main thing for me with Taylor is I saw he was healthy. You know, the speculation was, oh, man, he may not be the same. This could be Saquon Barkley, you know, last year at the end of the year where he was just zapped, right, because he had had the ankle injury. I think the benefit that Taylor has is he wasn't coming off of a major knee injury the year before, (laughs) you know, and then sprains his ankle. Like, he's just been dealing with the sprained ankle, Um, you know, and not to say just. Like, these these are major injuries that would cause many of us to not walk for multiple weeks. Like, and these guys get out and they're playing a game. You know, two weeks later, and it's like we're 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 you know upset because we're not getting more production. Um, so I think it's pretty interesting. But the big news for me with Taylor beyond the injury stuff is the fact that with Naheem Hines gone, Marcus, ninety-one percent route participation. Hmm. That is astronomical. Mm-hmm. That is insane. That is elite. That's above Christian McCaffrey. That's above, you know, what we see from guys like um, Alvin Kamara, like really, really good. Like the elites are 75% plus. Now, I don't know that he'll stay at 91%. Like, you know, that's immediately the response I got on Twitter about this one. I'm like, guys, he doesn't have to. Like if he's just, I just told you 75% is elite. Like, so if he's 75% or above, like we're in great shape. He has never had this kind of role in his life. And so it does two things for him. Number one, it provides him with more opportunity to earn targets. Makes sense, right? You're out there running more routes. Everybody can get their head around that one. And you're going to be able to get in on more targets. The other thing it does is if you're on the field in those situations, rather than Naheem Hines, let's say it's third and three, and all of a sudden the defense gives you a really good look and you decide you want to switch to a run play. Well, Taylor's on the field. He gets the extra carry. That does not go to Naheem Hines. So that leads to more touch, to more touch potential for Taylor. The other thing that it does is it protects him from the bad game strips, which is really the most important thing here because we're, we're talking about the Colts. They're not very good this year. <laughs> and so having that, that ability to know that even all of a sudden if they're down 15, they're down 20, it's halftime, he's not going to be written out of the game script because he has this role last week 100% of the two-minute offense. So that's a beautiful thing for Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think this squarely puts him back in the lead RB1 conversation. We've seen the health. We now see the role. It will not surprise me if Jonathan Taylor is the RB1 overall for the rest of the season. I did get a couple of questions around Deion Jackson. You know, is he going to eat into what Taylor's doing? Because he did miss the game last last week. And that's it's a good question, you know. But if you really look at Deion Jackson, like he's just been a volume guy. Like he has not really been efficient. If you look at him versus Taylor, he grades way below Jonathan Taylor in everything. PFF rush grade, missed tackles uh, force per attempt, yards after contact per attempt, 10 plus yard rushing attempts, all of those things. In fact, Deion Jackson's well below the NFL average. So people have to remember while what he did was nice and it's why volume is so important in, in fantasy football. He's still a guy that was on a practice squad until the beginning of this year. So thinking that he's going to really hinder Jonathan Taylor, I just don't see it happening. Naheem Hines had a very specific skill set. The guy's basically a receiver. Like he can be, he's one of the few people that when you talk about, oh, you know, you're going to see this, he could play slot. Like Naheem Hines and JD <laughs> McKissick are actually the two that could probably play slot. Like if you ask them to play slot receiver tomorrow, they could probably do that. So it was just one of those scenarios where you had two players that were really awesome at what they do. And now that's gone. So I really do think, you know, Taylor keeps most of this. I, I, yeah, I just, I don't see. Deion Jackson being anything more than, you know, hey, we, we need to give Taylor a breather for a couple plays. 
uh, Dion get in there, take a couple of snaps. I just don't see anything more than that. Um, we'll talk about another running back, though, who maybe is in a surprise uh, rotational situation. We'll get to, to him in just a bit. But want to get to James Conner, who I guess was kind of in a rotation <laughs> situation and isn't yeah. anymore. I mean, we mentioned Eno Benjamin not being in Arizona. So now does this mean it's all James Conner all the time for, for Cliff Kingsbury's team? I think so. I mean, um, if you're looking for a really deep, you're playing in a league, you know, like a 14 teamer, like I would definitely Keontae, you know, Ingram is now the mm-hmm. name to have, because if it's going to be anyone, that's it. They've, they've released the other two guys. Um, so looking at James Conner, yeah, I think this is his backfield now, Marcus. I mean, now he's had an injury history, so he's got to stay healthy, but 96% of the snaps, 81% of the rushing attempts, 60% route participation. You know, um, he came up, that was 24 opportunities between rushing, you know, attempts and targets, you know, so even in an offense that's been really average, you know, let's be honest, the Cardinals have not been good, but they've also not been terrible, especially in a, God, it feels like a year where every, there's a few teams that are really good and everyone else is average and then (laughs) it's just bad. So all, all of that's, you know, it's all relatively speaking, but yeah, James Conner looks like he's in a great spot. I, I mean, I've already moved him back up into the high end RB2 conversation just based on this utilization alone. Talk about the teams that that are good versus everybody else. I mean, I I came into this week thinking there were three teams in the league that I knew for sure were good. Um, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Eagles. Two of them lost this week. So um, I still think those teams are very good. They just didn't have good weeks necessarily, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., we talked about him a little bit last week. I was surprised that he came in and immediately got more snaps than Raheem Mostert. Not only did he get more snaps than Mostert this past week, that number sort of expanded between the two of them. Mostert's not going away, but are you surprised that Wilson walked in and immediately becomes the RB1 in Miami? Yeah, I am a little, but I, I guess, you know, we talked about this briefly, you know, in the last episode that he was a guy coming from a scheme very similar to the one he landed in. You know, he had played for Mike McDaniel the year before um, in San Francisco. A lot of the run concepts in, in the, in Miami are the same. And so while I'm surprised also at the same time, like I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, I just thought it might be more of a 50, 50, you know, mm-hmm. the rest of the way, but to see him get to 61% of the snaps in the second week, 52% of the rushing attempts. And I know, I know people are like, well, I thought you just said it wasn't 50, 50. Well, when you look at Mostert, like he was below 30% in all these numbers, right? So some of this is there's, there's rushing attempts by quarterbacks, you know, receivers getting involved in the run game, things like that. If you just brought it down to the running backs, like the splits look even more stark in favor of Jeff Wilson, Jr. Um, you know, I mean, and the other nice thing, Marcus, like the last two games, 12% and 16% target share. So something we kind of hoped for early on in the season, we were like, hey, maybe Chase Edmonds with all these weapons running around, leave a lot of space. They're not really putting Gasecki on the field all the time. Maybe one of these backs like could really be more involved in the passing game. Hasn't come to fruition, but now we've seen it two weeks in a row in a row with Jeff Wilson Jr. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, again, kind of like the Pacheco thing, high scoring offense. You're the lead back. At least that's what it looks like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, probably going to be inside the five-yard line a lot. There's going to be a lot of chances to score touchdowns for Jeff Wilson Jr. I've moved him into the low-end RB2 territory. If he has another game like this after the bye week, like he probably will move up to like the high-end RB2 range. Side note, if the, the Dolphins really do get this running game going between Mostert and Jeff Wilson to go along with Tua and Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, is this the most explosive offense in the NFL? Yeah, I think it is. I think it already is, even without that. But to your point, if there's now another element that teams really have to worry about, and I think that's what they like about Jeff Wilson. I got to say, go Mean Green. I went to the University of North Texas. So, you know, it's one of the, I don't get to say that very often in the NFL about NFL players being from, you know, my alma mater. So very excited for Jeff Wilson. But I think what they like about him is just the physicality that he really brings to it, you know, Marcus. So you've got all this speed all over the field causing all these problems. And then all of a sudden you've got this guy just running hundred miles an hour downhill at you. And you're like, crap, you know, we brought an extra DB on the field. You know, we're running a light box, you know, to help go after, um, you know, these receivers and to help keep coverage up. So yeah, I, I do think so, man. I think it is, it puts defenses in an absolute bind and this is not going to help them if they really get the running game going. So, Jeff Wilson going from San Francisco to Miami. Christian McCaffrey joining the 49ers a few weeks ago. And I think the belief was, yeah, he's going to walk into San Francisco. He's going to dominate all the snaps and the touches. And that's just going to be that. Except 
this past week, it was a lot of Elijah Mitchell. And both guys were very productive. I think there's certainly a, a belief that both guys can eat uh, in a Kyle Shanahan running game. But were you surprised to see that it was not just dominated by Christian McCaffrey? And I think, I think what I saw is that uh, Mitchell on Sunday had seven red zone carries. Whereas McCaffrey's had four combined in his last couple of games with the 49ers. Any any surprise that we saw so much Elijah Mitchell last week? Yeah, I was surprised. I really thought Elijah Mitchell would just be the handcuff and that this would be, you know, you spend all that draft capital, you're trying to go all in. I thought it would be all Christian McCaffrey and a guy that we've just seen, you know, that's handled that kind of workload in the past. Um, you know, to see Mitchell come out there and, you know, get 70 or, well, we saw, you know, uh, CMC at 34% of the rushing attempts. Um, and then, you know, I know some people were like, well, you know, the game got out of hand. So, I mean, I just went out and I always try to do this when we look at utilization, because that can be a factor. I went back and looked at the game when it was closer. And then I just kind of broke it down by quarter. And so if you look at it, Mitchell handled 45% of the rushing attempts over the first three quarters. If you look at the first two quarters, he was right around that number as well. So it was almost a 50, 50 split when the game was close, when it wasn't out of hand. And then once it was, and they were really just kind of in closer mode, it all went to Elijah Mitchell. Mm -hmm. So some will look at that and say, well, you know, in close game scripts, it'll be CMC. The way I look at that, and, and we'll, we'll get to CMC's ultimate outlook here in a second. I don't want to be too grim on it, but <laughs> the way I look at that is, well, that means you just lost a role because closer is one of the roles for running backs. You get a lead. You want your, that's the game. You want your running back to get to go to the moon. They get to score 40 points. They get to do the Joe Mixon thing. They're leading by all these points and their team keeps giving them the ball. So it's a role and it matters because every once in a while you get the blowout or you get the big lead. That's your chance to score huge points as a fantasy, you know, RB. And so, because normally, you know, you might get your normal workload, but if all of a sudden the team's running the ball every play, there's a lot of chance to add on to your value. And so that looks to be gone. The other thing is just knowing that inside the five, to your point, they were willing to use Mitchell much more. And so that stills potential touchdowns from CMC. Now, having said that, like CMC, number one, Kyle Shanahan could change his mind next week. Like Kyle Shanahan, we've talked about it on this show. He changes his mind a lot. Like mm -hmm. he could easily just go back to CMC. Number two, you could get in a game script where they're in a shootout or trailing, and it probably won't matter very much. It really will be CMC still as the main guy. But... I think there's a chance that that's false as well, because when you look at the 49ers, they're one of the few teams that they really don't care. They're like the honey badger. They don't, I won't say it on, on air, but like they don't care whenever they're trailing, if they're close, if they're leading, they are above the NFL average and rushing rate versus all the other NFL teams. So like take this last weekend as example, 49ers trailed by four plus points on 56% of their snaps last week, 56%. They trailed by four or more yet. They opted to run the ball 58% of the plays. The NFL average in that scenario is running the ball only 31%. So I found it kind of interesting that a lot of people went to the, well, it's just the way the game worked out. I'm like, they, they trailed over half the game by four or more points. You know, I, it felt closer than that, you know, and it, it ultimately was at the end and it, and they, you know, came out with the victory pretty easily at the end. But like, if you look at the game as a whole, it was a situation where, you know, technically you would think, man, there should have been more CMC and there wasn't. It was really tighter. Again, now having said all of that, like if this role sticks, then you're really looking at CMC being in a situation where he is kind of like Alvin Kamara or Austin Eckler before, like, uh, so early career, Alvin mm -hmm. Kamara, early, not early, early career Eckler, whenever he had to deal with Melvin Gordon all the time, but once they had kind of decided, like, this is a one-two punch, right, between these two guys, because you're still going to get all the passing downs, which McCaffrey kept. He had 100% of the long down and distance. They didn't use their two-minute offense, but he had a 21% target share, going to be involved in the passing game. But the 34% rushing attempts is bothersome. Like, he could end up anywhere between 35 and maybe 50% now, and that really puts him in a range where he could still be the RB1 overall on the season. But the question is, Marcus, can he be the absolute league crusher? That's if you drafted CMC number one overall, it's fine. You'll still take this, but mm -hmm. you drafted him. You took the risk of drafting a running back versus a receiver like Justin Jefferson, because you thought maybe it's not true this year <laughs> that you'd be better off because receivers don't get hurt as much. And then as we see Cooper cups out, you know, put on IR, but you may not have quite that upside. So he may not be on a pedestal by himself because there was still a chance of that happening this year. To where all the guys we love, we could have just looked up and be like, well, Saquon Barkley's really great, but CMC, he's all by himself. 
Like he's the one guy that scored 25 to 30 points per week. So he's still going to be really good. I just don't think you can expect that from him from him anymore. And I don't think he's an auto lock to be your, your RB one every week in your ranks anymore. Well, I think part of the reason that we drafted CMC as high as we did is because, I mean, one, there's the, the talent that's obvious, but also because there weren't many guys out there who could boast the snap share and the touch share that, that he was going to get on a weekly basis uh, in Carolina. Now, if that is changing in San Francisco, then I think we have to change our outlook, but still understanding the talent profile, uh, the usage and just the overall offense is still a great situation that he's got with the 49ers. Some news that came down uh, as we are recording this show right now, and that is the Bears have placed running back Khalil Herbert on injured reserve, which means he's going to miss at least the next four games. So a simple question, uh, David Montgomery, I won't say to the moon, but but maybe to the outer limits of the atmosphere right now. <laughs> I think that's a good one. Uh, as far as his talent will let him go, he's going to get carries. You know, um, I mean, this is one of the most run heavy offenses in the league. Teams have to worry about Justin Fields. We have seen running backs playing with guys like Lamar Jackson, just really able to, you know, have this high efficiency because teams are so worried about accounting for him in the run game. And Justin Fields is now at that level. Teams are more worried about Justin Fields than David Montgomery. And so they're going to try to take Fields away whenever it's any sort of option play, right? Where the quarterback gets to read one of two things. They're going to try to force the ball to David Montgomery well, how do they do that? They leave the hole open for David Montgomery and they close the hole for Justin Fields. So while it may sound like a bad thing, it's still going to be a good thing for David Montgomery because he's going to get the ball and they're probably going to give him a lane because they want him to get it. And so all David Montgomery needs to do is stop dancing so much. His <laughs> year, two years ago, when he had a great finish to the season, I loved what I saw. He's a very East-West runner, right? He spends way too much time traveling too many yards to just get a few yards because he's just not fast enough to do that. Like he, he has the vision for it. He has the anticipation for it, but he just doesn't quite have the athletic profile to pull it off at the NFL level. It worked at college. If he would just put his foot in the ground and go in this offense, he's going to be really good. Um, you know, he's out there for all the passing downs. That's not going to change. I mean, he's probably Marcus going to be in line for 25 touches a game. Like, there's no way he's not going to be in the RB1 conversation every week as much as people are going to hate him and as much as people are going to be like, oh, man, he's never going to be able He's going to do it. It's going to happen. Like, it's coming at you right. In fact, he's going to have RB1 overall finishes. It's probably going to happen. <laughs> like, because there's just, they run the ball too much for it, for it to not come through. So I don't know how long we'll see Herbert's out. I don't know. You know, as this news comes in, like, is this, you know, permanent, like done for the season IR or is this the four week variety? Sometimes it's funny, like, and, you know, you'll go search, like you start like, like, oh, what is this? And like every resource you find, it doesn't tell you. It just says on IR. <laughs> just, so, he's on injured. Probably, okay. Jordan's helping us at least four. So at least, at least four. four right now. So that's it. So we'll, we'll see what it is. But yeah, it's always the worst where you all you get is like, he's on injured reserve. And it's like, well, I know that part. <laughs> like, how much you, you update <laughs> yeah. us with some more information. Clarify. <laughs> right. And look, I get it. People are going to be excited about David Montgomery. And, and he, he at times falls into that category of what I like to call oatmeal, where it's just fine. It's not exciting. But you know what? Sometimes you need oatmeal. Sometimes you got to eat it. <laughs> sometimes you just got to eat it, right? Like you need those nutrients. You need something to fortify you. And that's sort of where we may be with David Montgomery, at least for the next month, maybe more. We'll, we'll see what happens with Khalil Herbert. Let's get I have to a where the, I have a feeling on where the cover of, of this podcast is going. Yep. Probably something to do with you stirring oatmeal. Of oatmeal, right? Like that's going to be it for for this show. Uh, let's get to wide receivers because there were some definitely notable things that happened this past week. Also, the four teams that are on a bye, there are some notable wide receivers. I mean, we're not going to have either of the Dolphins receivers this week, so definitely some some players uh, that will be missing. No more notable though than Cooper Cup, who was on injured reserve with what's being called a high ankle sprain right now. The Rams don't seem all that optimistic. Also, with the Rams pretty much out of playoff contention. I don't know if they're officially mathematically eliminated yet, but I think for all intents and purposes, it seems to sort of be a wash for them this year. So who knows if they even bring Cooper Cup back? Uh, I mean, look, there's no way to just replace that sort of production on your fantasy roster. I guess, first question, is there anybody in Los Angeles that you look at that gets in a notable boost. I mean, does Allen Robinson come to life now? Do we try Van Jefferson or Ben Skoranek? 
perish the thought any of those guys <laughs> do anything for you at this point so bennett skoranek has had an opportunity he's been on the field plenty this year and he's not really been able to earn the targets right they've always gone to cooper cup or if not they've gone to tyler higby so i tend to think not on that one Van Jefferson's also had a couple of years to break out. He's done some nice things. He can sometimes be an air yard player, right? He'll come up with, you know, some, uh, you know, you'll look up and like, ah, 150 air yards. He caught one of them for, you know, 50 and a touchdown. Like it could happen. But the, but the problem is like the, the Rams really aren't executing that part of their offense right now. You know, there's just not enough time for Matthew Stafford. And, you know, they're one of those teams where it's kind of funny. We've talked about this in the past. Like when they run play action, it's like the defensive ends just like, I don't care. I'm going to keep coming after Matthew <laughs> Stafford. So it's uh, it's tough. I would say that if we're going to pick one, it has to be Allen Robinson or Tyler Higby. Uh, now, Tyler Higby in this last game, even though you had Cooper Cup knocked out at the end, like his route participation was still really bad. They're having to keep him in to block. Now, he was the guy that got was the biggest recipient. Like his targets per route run were really great. But I struggle with it because, like, if you're not going to be out there for at least 60% of the passing plays because you got to block all the time, that's going to be problematic. So that leaves me with one last chance, Marcus, for Allen Robinson. I think the hope there would be Allen Robinson to this point has not been schemed up, right? He's not getting all the Cooper 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 Cooper. He's not getting the Cooper Cooper looks. <laughs> uh, yeah, Phil, I, Barack Obama with my quarter zip, uh, peanut butter cup, Cooper Cup. Um, yeah. So if he gets in the slot, if they start giving him some of the design looks that they've been giving to Cooper Cup, now Cooper Cup's really good, so he's not just, he doesn't automatically just come to him, right? He has to be good enough that Matthew Stafford and he are like, you know, they're simpatico, but there's a chance for Allen Robinson because you get to play inside against the slot, you get easier coverage, more matchups against safeties, more matchups against linebackers. We have seen, in fact, this profile of a player historically get moved inside to the slot many times and be really good. We saw it with Heinz Ward way back in the day. Bruce Arians is notorious for doing this. He took, uh, he did it with Heinz Ward in Pittsburgh. Then he did it with Reggie Wayne for the Colts. Then he did it with Larry Fitzgerald. Those guys happened to all be really good, but there was a time when we thought Allen Robinson was really good. Can he play outside receiver and beat alpha coverage, especially when, you know, everything's schemed for another player? I think we know the answer to that question. It's no. I think the question is, can he do it? with McVay centering everything around him. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to move him inside and they're going to try to do all the things with him that they did with Cooper cup. So having said that, I wouldn't completely sleep on it because of what we've seen with that profile in the past. I mean, they got to go somewhere with the ball. They can't run it at all right now. So maybe this is it. Maybe this is what we finally need to unlock Allen Robinson. Uh, I know for a lot of people, it's probably going to be too little too late, but for everybody else who still wants to take a chance, you're right. Maybe this is maybe this is the opportunity for that to happen. Kadarius Tony did things last week. Whenever Kadarius Tony does two things, there are two people that I that I think about. It's you and it's my pal Michael F. Florio because you guys have been the biggest Kadarius Tony champions uh, that I know. And look, he got more snaps. He got more targets this past week. Uh, you know, Juju Smith Schuster is in concussion protocol after taking a nasty hit. Even you know MVS got banged up. Nicole Hardman was out. So this feels like a combination of one, a talented player getting more opportunities. Also, the fact that there just aren't a lot of guys maybe healthy around him. This does actually feel like Kadarius Tony could be ready to take off for the Chiefs. Yeah, and he's a he's a polarizing one, right? So we talked about before, you know, are they a talented player? If you're right, is the upside that the player has potentially changed things for you? I think quite the answer to that question is yes. We know Tony's got the talent, as you mentioned, we know that the upside is asymmetrical if you're right around Kadarius Tony. However, question two is around the reasonable path to opportunity. And I do think it's reasonable still because we've talked about it. Like there's just not really an alpha on the Chiefs behind Travis Kelsey. You know, as good as Juju had been, you know, wasn't demanding a ton of targets, playing playing good. Like he and Mahomes were definitely finding a groove. Um, MVS, not been able to do it. Christian Watson, you know, really just not Christian Watson. Sorry. Why am I, why is my brain going sky more uh, dead? Yeah, no. Well, sky more too. I'm <laughs> thinking, um, you know, someone else anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, people, Justin Watson, dang there it. it. Many Watsons on this show, Justin Watson. And, um, you know, he was out there more than Kadarius Tony, even once Juju Smith Schuster was hurt. So the challenge I have here is Miko Hardman missed the game. We had Juju leave the game in the first half and you still had Tony only get to a 41% route participation. Like I, I really thought it would be higher than that. 
I thought it would be higher than that with just Miko out, much mm-hmm. less Juju leaving after the first half of the game. I really expected to pull this up and be like, oh, man, look, Tony, 70%. But to see him still at 40%, that kind of worried me. Now, again, I'm not going to sit here and get too stuck in the, in the minutia. My biggest point with Tony is this. He should be rostered. His upside is astronomical, but you shouldn't have him in your lineup next week if Juju and Miko Hardman are back. That would be my advice to you. You need to probably keep him on the bench. Now, you just mentioned there's a lot of people on by. So it could be one of those weeks where you're just like, well, I could start this guy that's just going to be out there running wind sprints like a Justin Watson or a Nick Akini Westbrook, somebody like that. Or I could just, you know, take a flyer on a guy that may only run 10 routes but score on two of them. He still fits that, <laughs> right? He's boom bust. He's a boom bust wide receiver four. So I, I really love Kadarius Tony, but I was just slightly concerned that he couldn't do more than that already. And I think what lingers in my mind, Marcus, is just the fact that he's just been a guy that hasn't seemed to be able to put it together yet. And maybe I'm over accounting for that, right? But I just feel like with Tony, as much as we love him, we, we're always waiting on the other shoe to drop. We're waiting for uh, Tony falls asleep in the wide receiver room. or or you know like uh tony's in the doghouse for this or tony pulled a quad or tony you know this or that so maybe i'm overcompensating from you know to your point being someone that's loved him so much and then having to deal with all the heartbreak with him but just slightly concerned right now about having him in a lineup no i i totally understand that but it is it does go back to one your statement about getting in early because we don't have that many more chances to to take swings at these guys so tick so Tony should be on rosters. Um, it shouldn't yeah. be on the wire, period. Should not, not be on the wire at if all. If I had to pick, though, I would, st- I would roster Watson above him. I would okay. because we've already seen it, and he's already on the field, right? So I would take Watson above it. I think when you get to Traylon Burks, I think that's the one where you can make an argument more, more for Tony just because we really have, even though they both have small sample sizes, um, we've seen Tony ex- produce, right, at a high-end level and plays in the better offense. You know, so I think, you know, that would be the way you could t- break that tie and go with Tony instead. But I would go Christian Watson, you know, at the top. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Watson seems to have more of the the factors you want, right? It's the the opportunity, the ability and the the quality of the offense. Whereas for Tony, when everybody gets healthy, who knows if that opportunity is going to be there on the same level. Harris Campbell. Back to getting opportunities again. He had come into our lives. Then the Colts went and benched Matt Ryan. and He sort of went away. Now Matt Ryan is back. So it seems like Paris Campbell is back along with him. You talked about it earlier with Jonathan Taylor and the fact that the Colts offense is still not, it's not going to be a world beater, but you know, I think you and I said, and a lot of other people said that, Hey, Indy, if you're not going to go anywhere, at least give us Matt Ryan back so we can get all these wide receivers back in our lives. So I guess we are back on the Paris Campbell train now. Yeah. And it's great to see because this is a second round NFL wide receiver. There was an extreme athlete at Ohio state played with a lot of other really good receivers. I know a lot of people were down on him because, well, you know, his, uh, you know, his target shares weren't high enough in college, you know, his dominator, all these things. And I get it. I love all those data points. I look at them, you know, I, I care about all those. So don't get me wrong. But again, accounting for the context of where this, of where this kid played football and being, still a high second round draft pick. And then kind of what we've talked about with some of these other guys, um, except it's just lasted longer, like Christian Watson being hurt at the beginning of this year, Paris Campbell's just never been able to stay healthy. It's just been very brief um, that we've been able to see him on the field. So we know he's got the draft, you know, capital. We're now seeing him produce. And then to your point, like Sam Ellinger, like was really a wet blanket on <laughs> Paris Campbell's coming out party. It was happening. So now you get Matt Ryan back. So listen to this, Marcus. Over the last three games with Matt Ryan, Paris Campbell has 29 targets, so 10 a game almost, 25% target share. He has 24 receptions for 203 yards and three receiving touchdowns. That's 20.8 fantasy points per game with Matt Ryan. That's crazy. The other thing you look at, Naheem Hines, I know we talk about that with Jonathan Taylor, but where did he vie for targets? Underneath. Where's Paris Campbell operate underneath this guy's got an a dot, you know, typically between four and five, every single game, he's the underneath layer of the read. And then you have intermediate, you've got Michael Pittman working behind that. And then you've, they've got more of a traditional offense. And then you've got the deep read. Alec Pierce is the guy they want to take the top off the defense. So I, man, I love Paris Campbell. I think in a lot of waiver wire columns this week, he's probably just going to kind of be a throw in. I've got him at just as much fab 
as I do Traylon Burks. And I think you could honestly make an argument that you should have him above Traylon Burks because he's already shown us three games. I mean, as long as Matt Ryan doesn't get benched again, and now that they've seen Sam Ellinger, I just I see it. <laughs> I mean, they know what Nick Folk is probably, right? So I I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm in on Paris Campbell. He checks all those boxes that we want. Oh, I I definitely would put him above Traylon Burks without a doubt because I just you know I, I think I have more faith in Matt Ryan as a passer than I do Ryan Tannehill in that Titans passing game at this point. Uh, so I I think he's ready to kind of take off, and it's just nice because you know we were maybe a month ago talking about Pitt, uh, Pittman and Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell, then they all went away. So to get them back, I think is is great, <laughs> nice, especially yeah. with this week with, be, with having so many receivers on by. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and folks, remember, you're bringing up a great point, Marcus. The receiver's on by. So you've got Cooper Cup out. That, that fantasy manager is probably, just on Cooper Cup alone, probably in the race. They probably have not given up, right? Mm-hmm. Unless everybody else got hurt. They're going to be after a receiver on the waiver wire. All these bye weeks you just talked about, it's going to hit a lot of fantasy teams. Fantasy managers are going to be out there, and they're going to be after these players and then the last fact, right? We are in week eleven. Do not go weak, you know, to the rim this week. Like <laughs> overbid what you would normally think you would. It is going to be hyperactive. These names are probably all going to go higher than what you expect. Um, we're almost to the end, you know. I mean, put your chips in the middle. Put more than what you would think you would normally put on all these players because there's just a lot of circumstances coming together that I think is really going to drive the bidding up. Fab dollars are like timeouts. There's no point in just leaving them in your pocket nope. as you're going to halftime. Use them, spend them, uh, you know, get rid of them. By the way, the, we keep talking about the receivers on a buy. You've got uh, the Bucks, so that means no Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. Uh, the Seahawks, which means no Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. The Dolphins, which means you're missing Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And the Jaguars, which means no Christian Kirk. So there are some some quality wide receivers. You're missing seven top them. 24 guys pretty much right there. Yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of quality receivers. That's a lot who are not playing this week. Uh, before we finish up, let's do some tight ends because there's some big tight end news as well. Zach Ertz, unfortunately, is on injured reserve. He is finished for the season. Dallas Goddard suffered a shoulder injury on Monday night against the Commanders, and the reports are that he's going to miss an extended amount of time, nothing more specific than that. But either way, uh, in a position that was already incredibly shallow, we're losing two of the more consistent producers we've had all season long. You got a couple of upgrades, Trey McBride and Pat Fryermuth. Uh, you know, one more than the other, or is it just you know tight end sort of a dart throw uh, at this point? Yeah, I mean Fryermuth is obviously a guy that's rostered, so I mean it was just more of you know kind of outlining his utilization. We don't just spend as much time there. He's just he's been a really good player. Twenty three percent targets per route run this season. He was really good last year. He's probably just going to be a high level tight end for his career. Now you have less. We talked about the the Claypool moving on and how this could open things up. He had a 27% target share last week. So that was his best of the season. I think there's a real opportunity that this guy is wide, is tied in five, six every week moving forward. He and, Tal- he and Dalton Schultz are the two that I think down the stretch are going to help people win some fantasy championships, especially now with these injuries that are coming into play. Trey McBride, though, is available everywhere. He's, a, he's available in 100% of Yahoo leagues. Mm-hmm. And normally, if you were the Zach Ertz, you know, manager, it'd be real easy. You're just going to like, okay, I go men bid this and I'm going to get Trey McBride. You, you might not because now <laughs> Dallas Goddard's out and there's not a clear backup that the Eagles owner can go after. A lot of these other tight ends that we've been talking about all year long, these streamers, people are tired of them. The name that's going to stick out is going to be Trey McBride. You got a guy that was the only, he was the highest uh, drafted tight end in the class this year by a full round. He was a second round pick. He was also PFF's favorite uh, receiver. He was many draft analysts' favorite receiver uh, tight end receiving tight end coming out of college this year. And now he's going to get an opportunity. And last week he saw a 75% route participation with Zach Ertz out. They don't really have anyone else. They're going to have to pull Max Williams up from the practice squad. Um, Steven Anderson is the other guy they have. He was available last week. They didn't use him. So he's going to be out there. Like how many targets he's going to earn. We don't know. We really don't, but you know, you've got again, second round draft capital going to be on the field. It's the best we can do. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, I mean, so I would rather carry him than like Foster Moreau will be another mm-hmm. popular name. Harrison Bryant will be another popular name. I would rather go Trey McBride over both of those. Like we've seen those two be okay. That you can stream them, you could live with it. But you know, Harrison Bryant could be gone because Njoku should be back soon. 
eventually Waller should be back. They could shut him down, kind of like what you were talking about with Cooper Cup. But, Fry, but you know, Moreau's been okay. He's like a 10, 15% target share guy. There's really a chance Trey McBride's more. And so I'd rather go ahead and kick the tires on McBride. If it's a miss and a complete dud, then I can probably find someone easily next week off the wire that can replace what I didn't get with Moreau, what I didn't get with a Harrison Bryant. So that's the way I would approach it. I mean, look, we're at a point where if you stream a tight end and he gives you, you know, two and a half points, uh, yeah, you can you can find two and a half points, I think, a lot of places <laughs> on the waiver wire. But why not take the swing that, that, that something good can happen, especially as you mentioned, we, we started the show talking about guys with a path to opportunity. Trey McBride has a wide open path to opportunity for the rest of this year with Zach Ertz, unfortunately, on the shelf. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs on that. By the way, uh, you talk about people tired of the same streamers. That means I shouldn't keep throwing out Jawan Johnson every week. <laughs> I, he's a good one, though. He's actually a good one. Like, he's he played well. 25% target share last weekend. He's been around the 70% route participation. Like, he's been really, you know, steady the last three games. So I, I like Jawan Johnson. I think that's a good one, Marcus. And, and who knows? Maybe, maybe Jameis is back throwing some YOLO balls this week, too. So maybe we get some more downfield shots. If that ends up being the case, we went deep on our own this uh, for this show today. Hopefully you enjoyed everything. Hopefully the utilization helped out. And for more of that, be sure to go check out the utilization report in full at fantasylife.com. Go check out all the different tools over there. Uh, I, I can say, I think I can say what they are, but I know that there are some really cool things that are going to be in the works that should be dropping very soon within the next week or so. So just consider that a tease and a reason to keep coming back to fantasylife.com to check things out over there. We appreciate you hanging out with us as always. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you again real soon.